Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Crosswires. It's James here, and this week we have something that I'm sure, or at least I hope, is going to spark a lot of debate in the comments and on the social medias. We're going to be talking crypto, and my guest is already laughing because she knows what's coming to us when we release this episode. We're going to be talking about a little bit about the ethics of cryptocurrency and NFT, maybe the wider blockchain. But before we introduce our guest, let me, as always, welcome my wonderful co-host and co-producer, the lady responsible for our website launching 48 hours earlier than planned. And you know I'm not going to let you forget that anytime soon. It, by the time this episode comes out, it's January. The website's been up a month or so, but it still came out early. Please welcome Jay. Well, I mean, if it was on the blockchain, then it would be a little more stable. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't. Hi, just don't. This is, this is getting this is us off to a great start here. <laughs> and, and my guest, who's definitely reconsidering her decision to join the episode, <laughs> is Kat. Sorry. Jay, Jay, before I introduce our guest, how are you? Apart from wrecking my show already. I'm doing good. I'm in a, I'm in a really good mood. I'm happy. I already ate a whole thing of lemonade before I got on here. Eight. <laughs> I mean, drink. You know me and getting things mixed up on words. Yes. J- just for context, by the way, this is early for Jay. This is, well, it's 10 a.m. for Jay, but I think this may be the earliest you've recorded. Yes, in a long time. There was the one time I recorded a 1 a.m. show. No, 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 7 a.m. once with a guest from Australia. Oh, well, there we go. So our guest this week is someone who's been doing a lot of works in the ethics of emerging technology and has actually been on, wait for it, folks, been on BBC Radio 4, so you know we have a quality guest this week. Would you please welcome to the show Catherine Flick? Hello, thanks for having me. No problem. So before we get started on our topic proper, and I sound like every YouTuber, hey guys, before we get started, hey guys, before we get started. No, seriously, Kevin, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself and maybe you know, so your background in tech, your tech pedigree, as it were? Oh, wow. Tech pedigree. Okay, here we go. Um, so way back in 1985, my father bought <laughs> um, an IBM compatible PC. <laughs> And You've been listening anyway, to our retro episodes, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, it was not an IBM, it was an IBM compatible by NEC, and I remember it very well um, because I wasn't allowed to play with it, but I was allowed to watch videos on the VCR that came that came for free with the PC because it was so expensive that they were actually giving away VCR machines. Isn't that incredible? Wow! And um, I watched I watched Felix the Cat a lot. Anyway, that's my pedigree. Uh- <laughs> Up until, um, <laughs> no, I actually learned how to do some, um, uh, we had a little computer, I think at school, like a BBC micro B or something like that. And, uh, we learned a bit of basic and, and my dad t- actually came down and taught kindergartners and, and, um, uh, year one, year two, how to, how to program, you know, little sprites moving up and down the screen and stuff like that. So I, I have, you know, I've, I've got a, I'm from a, a techie family, I suppose you could say. Certainly my dad, um, has been very encouraging of that. Um, and then when I didn't know what I wanted to do after I finished school, high school in Australia. So that's the accent. If anyone's wondering, uh, I uh, decided I'd go into do a bioinformatics degree, which is biology and computer science at the University of Sydney. 
And it was a very new course at the time because um, this was in 1999. Um, biology and computer science, sort of the idea of merging the two was only fairly in its infancy. And they were, you know, really hyping it up as being, we'll have simulated, you know, rats that we can experiment on instead of real rats. And that was kind of, I thought, well, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I wanted to be a vet, you see, because I didn't, but I didn't get the marks to get into vet science. So um, I went and did this course which basically was a biology degree and a computer science degree and then they had this like mysterious project that theoretically brought the two together but didn't really it was actually not very well managed <laughs> most of the people that started um actually and it, i was only um on the second year of this program and most of the people that started uh, either went into either computer science or into biology and I ended up doing computer science and history and philosophy of science, which is then how I got started getting interested in the philosophy side of things. Cause my, um, friend at the time was like, Oh, you got to make up some credits somewhere. And, um, so I basically was like, Oh, well, let's pick something easy and, you know, we'll do it together. And so we picked out philosophy of science. We thought that'd be a nice, easy one after all the hard maths and chemistry and stuff we'd been doing. And it was easy, but I also fell in love with it. And that's how I got to doing um, a cross between computer science and history and philosophy of science. And then I went and did a PhD in computer ethics at uh, Charles Sturt University. And all the while through that, I was actually working in industry. So I was a Unix sysadmin. I used to um, admin uh, Solaris boxes, Solaris oh, wow. 2.6, and then five, it was like 5.2 when that came out, if I recall the numbers correctly. It's a long time ago now. Uh, I missed the dot-com boom by about this much, which is really annoying. <laughs> but I worked for a very large record co recording company in Australia for a long time um, doing their sysadmining uh, and being a general kind of tech support person around that around the uh, building because we're in physical buildings doing like, this is when you had in-house tech support people for small companies right <laughs> um and uh yeah so that was a really good fun actually and that was when i sort of I, I was like well actually i don't really think this is for me though because um while you know it was i, I quite like doing the the, the the technical side of things i I'm, i thrive on positive reinforcement and i found as when you're a sysadmin it's all negative yeah. all the time <laughs> because if your server is not you know if your server is up nobody comes and says hey good job you've kept that server up for 300 days no it's when things go wrong that's when you hear from people and that didn't really suit me so well so i went back to university and i did a phd in computer ethics and then yeah i guess from there i did a postdoc in belgium where I looked at emerging uh, governance of emerging technologies, ethical governance of emerging technologies for European projects. Then I moved to London and did um, some work on the ethics of natural language processing to identify um, adults pretending to be children in children's chat channels for purposes of grooming. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that was a really hardcore one. I was really, really tough, that one. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a really interesting project, but it was – eye-opening <laughs> and emotionally draining I'd, I'd imagine as yeah, well yeah and then we had mandatory therapy you know th mandatory like counseling that we had to go to because it was you know there was a potential for us to you know encounter problematic material and things like that and and distressing material thankfully we never did that was all the like the police were very careful that we never we never um you know saw anything like that uh which was good but it was a really interesting project but also one that's 
as as a, as a mum to a, a you know a toddler and a, a baby, I, I, it's now going to haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's why my children are not on social media <laughs> um, or on the internet at all. Uh, and so yeah, so uh, you know, and then I moved from that to doing. I got a, a lectureship position. Um, up at De Montfort University at the Center for Computing and Social Responsibility. And that's when I started doing kind of, I guess, more pet projects, my own thing. And um, one of those things that I've been interested in doing. So in 2011, I did ran a, actually a survey of Bitcoin users. Um, and it was actually a really interesting survey. I was interested in the ethics of like, so I was fiddling around with it. I had a friend who um, worked for Tor at the time and she and I went and we were just talking about it and um, and we both bought some Bitcoin at the time. Uh, I have since lost that Bitcoin about a year later. I did an upgrade because the technology at the time was rubbish. Um, you had to store your wallet on your PC, on your, on your PC, but I had a Mac, right? And, um, most of the wallet software had been written for, for Linux or for Windows, and there wasn't much for Mac available. So I had, basically was using a kind of command line, um, ported version from the Linux version on my Mac. And when my Mac upgraded, it wiped the files. Oh. <laughs> it wiped my wallet. Oh, no. So I had two and a half Bitcoin in there. Uh, about 50 pounds worth of Bitcoin I'd bought at the time. And I mean, two and a half Bitcoin, right? It's probably worth a bit more than that now. But I, I, I clocked that to like a lesson in life that sometimes things just pass you by and you just got to let them go. <laughs> like, <laughs> but anyway, it, it got me interested in Bitcoin and the people that used it and how people were using it. And I've, I've been doing work on Lucy. Uh, so I wrote a paper with her about um, the ethics of researching the dark net, which obviously that was what a lot of Bitcoin was being used for at the time. Um, but also I, um, I ran a survey of Bitcoin users on, uh, there used to be a forum called Bitcoin Talk, I think it was. I, th- I mean, they were all probably pretty much gone now, but also on Reddit, um, the Bitcoin, our Bitcoin on Reddit. And I asked questions about the ethics of Bitcoin. I asked them, you know, is it, is it okay to, to use Bitcoin for in, in a very, a bunch of different circumstances? And of course, it was always a flip coin type thing. So is it okay for it to be used for tax free payments versus is it okay to be used for money laundering? Right. Mm. And I mean, they're the same side of the, you know, the, the different side of the same coin. So I wanted to see how the kind of the cognitive dissonance was working and how people kind of justified using Bitcoin. Um, I gave a little talk about this at a, I believe it was one of the first Bitcoin conferences in London at um, the London Hack Space. And um, that video actually made it up onto the internet and got passed around. By, and, I, and it got passed around by a bunch of the really libertarian wings. So all I was doing was reporting back on what people had said in my in my survey. And But for whatever reason, this libertarian arm of the Bitcoin enthusiast society uh, decided that it was me suggesting that this is how Bitcoin should be. And, um, of course, people were quite – like people in the, the responses to my survey – thought that it should be taxed and it should be regulated. It should be, you know, brought into a, a wider banking system. Like, we, like, I don't know, they, they thought it should be, should be more regulated. And so, but this, this group of people vastly misunderstood what I was trying, what I was actually saying. And they thought that was what I thought. And they started sending a whole bunch of, you know, nasty emails and stuff. And I was just a little baby postdoc back then. And I was just like, yeah, I just don't have the mental energy for this. So I shelved that one and didn't talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you know, I guess what, 10, 12, 12 years, almost 12 years later, it'd be interesting to do a, a return to, to that survey. But I, I don't know that I really want to kind of put my head, I mean, I'm putting my head above the parapet as much as I am at the moment, but that would be really putting 
my head above the parapet, I think, nowadays. So, that, but that's my history sort of with Bitcoin, right? And then over the years, um, I mean, I lost the Bitcoin, obviously, <laughs> at, at some point. Um, I did a bunch of work with uh, on the dark net. Um, I did a, a bunch of actually work on looking at um, the drug trade on the dark net. So I worked with some uh, toxicologists in London looking at, uh, uh, what do they call them? Um, the spice, you know, the synthetic cannabinoids. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, novel pharmaceutical substances, I think they call them. Anyway, they were wanting to try to identify them on the dark net um, so they could prepare, potentially prepare hospitals for what might be the next wave of, um, you know, problematic uh, overdoses and, 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 and things like that because they, they change the, the things up, you know, they change the recipes, I guess, up all the time. Um, but it was just a really interesting study. But then, of course, they took all the – almost all the uh, – the drug sites went down and it turned out Bitcoin wasn't as anonymous as everyone thought. And, you know, it kind of killed that a little bit. So, so there's not a lot of that. I mean, it's still a lot of that going on, but it's, it's a lot more complicated than it used to be to actually buy stuff on the dark net using Bitcoin. And yeah, then I guess I got into, I mean, more recently. So as my, I've done a whole bunch of other stuff. I do like, I do a lot of ethical governance. I do a lot of emerging technology stuff. I did a bunch of stuff on horizon scanning in, um, technology used in, in, um, uh, for older people. Um, and I've done stuff on like a, a lot of what I do at the moment is on video games, um, and the ethics and, um, ethics of and use of video games and how people play video games. But one of the, um, but I would still sort of have one foot in the crypto <laughs> scene. Um, so yeah, so I, I got very, I got very, I got to become the kind of the BBC local radio, uh, go to on whenever Bitcoin was spiking in its price, they'd get me on to explain what Bitcoin was. And my, my record was explaining Bitcoin in 15 seconds, but it took about an hour to actually record the 15 seconds. So I don't want to kind of do it off the top of my head. <laughs> but, no, no, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's, that's, I guess, I guess that's sort of where, you know, that, that was like, what, last year? And then in January of this year, there was a lot of um, problematic stuff happening with people like the World Wildlife Fund were uh, commissioning NFTs. And I kind of jumped up and yelled a lot about how actually it's really, really environmentally damaging. And, you know, that got, got a bunch of people quite interested in the, in the topic. So I kind of, I got in, I guess I got, got my seat at the, at the, at the crypt, at the crypto critics corner, so to speak, <laughs> um, at, the, at that, at that point where, um, uh, a lot of the other, uh, skeptics, I guess on Twitter started to, Notice what I was doing. And so they started inviting me, inviting me to kind of have conversations with them as well. So that was quite nice. Um, and yeah, I guess I've just been, you know, I guess other hats that I wear, I'm the incoming after my maternity leave, I'm the incoming, uh, vice chair of the Association of Computing Machineries, uh, Committee on Professional Ethics. And, um, that's basically the biggest, uh, professional organization for what we call computing professionals, which is a very broadly determined thing. You can, you know, anyone who feels like they might qualify probably does. Um, and it's also aimed at aspiring computing professionals. So we aim, aim for this to be used as an aspirational document for students, educators, et cetera, et cetera, as well. So it's not just supposed to be, a, you know, slapping people on the wrist if they happen to be an ACM member, although we do do that as well. Um, so uh, it's it's a really interesting document. I helped to rewrite that in 2018 because it was really, really old and didn't really, you know, kind of keep up to date with things. 
And then um, I've been wanting to really write a good analysis using that new code of ethics for a long time. And so then I sat down and wrote an NFT paper where I used that code of ethics to look at NFTs from a professional ethics perspective as a computing professional. So I think that's probably where basically from, you know, A to Z there, right? <laughs> I, th- I think that's a good, yeah, I guess it's a good grounded. And it's a very, because, you know, a lot of the stuff we talk about on Crosswires is all about, you know, the ethics of tech. You know, we talked about, you know, the episode that literally has gone out today, as we record this today, the episode that's gone out today is all about messaging, secure and private messaging, you know, the ethics of data harvesting. You know, we, we might have, me and my guest Jeff, might have slammed into Meta quite hard over some of her data collection policies um, for WhatsApp. I, I, I kind of did that too, yep. Yeah, <laughs> I've, yep. Uh, I've, written a, I've written a couple of papers about uh, informed consent, so my PhD was on informed, cons- informed consent, and I wrote a very, um, well, apparently quite an impressive paper, according to the Facebook people, <laughs> um, about Facebook and their emotional manipulative, um, emotional manipulation studies. So I wrote, um, a, a paper about the ethics of that and the fact that it's not informed consent. Yeah. And then I recently wrote another paper about their responsible innovation unit, which has now been disbanded, um, about how basically their responsible innovation, um, uh, their guidance that they have on their VR, AR section of their website, which they used to have, uh, is not actually responsible innovation. In fact, it's so vague, you might as well not have anything. Um, and I wrote um, a fairly critical paper with a colleague of mine, Sally Applin, uh, about that, which is a really interesting uh, – and that got passed around, not just Facebook Meta, but because oh, it was Facebook still. They just turned into Meta just after we published. Um, but it's been passed around Apple and some of the other big uh, VR people uh, as well because it's all about um, the augmented reality glasses that uh, Facebook and Ray-Ban were putting together. Yeah, so we wrote a very critical thing about how they're not really applying their own responsible innovation uh, pr- procedures to their own products. So what hope <laughs> What hope do the rest of us have, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge – I don't think people at Meta are very big fans of mine. Sorry. <laughs> That's fine because we're not Sorry. big fans of Meta either. So the feeling is mutual. <laughs> and, one thing that, and one thing that I have a big focus on is privacy, like – uh, my degree I'm working on right now is in communications, and I am very much been studying the the idea of like what data do you collect on your customers? What do you do with that data? How do you collect it? And things like I I will never use Google Analytics because of the fact that even though it's free analytics for your site, you're adding to the overall Google ecosystem, and people can track you, and mm-hmm. Google can track you across sites, and even the fact that like. Google wanted to, to merge online and physical databases together, things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I've had a big focus on that. And I mean, I remember the first time I walked into a mall and a digital sign signage board changed to a very obscure app in front of me that I was just looking at on my phone. I, I, I People will say that it was, might have been timing, but I know some of the data stuff and some of the ad agencies. So I'm, I'm very fo- much focused on the ethics of stuff. It, it kind of reminds me of Jurassic Park. Just because we can, maybe we should have thought of, should we do it? Mm. Yeah, and I think a lot of the ethics of it is 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 captured in that creepiness factor, the ick yeah. factor, I often call it when I'm teaching. And if you can unpack 
what it is about that ick factor, um, then actually that, that really gets you to the ethical issues at, at that hand, like the values that you hold yourself. If you can kind of unpack what is it about it that makes it feel ick or it's the fact that I was just looking at this and it makes me feel like they're looking at me or they, they're tracking what I'm doing. That's the icky bit. So, okay, what's icky about that? Well, it probably means they have a lot of information or they're tracking you know, real time what I'm doing, you know, so what's my value there? My, my value, my, my, the values that I care about there are my privacy, um, and my, um, autonomy, right? You know, and things like that. So you can really kind of, you can draw down from that gut, gut feeling what values specifically it is that you really care about with, with regard to your technology. Yeah. And it's really interesting, you know, but as I, because I'm, I'm, still looking for a job at the moment and i do i'm gonna be honest when i go and apply for a job i have stopped the application cold based on how much data they're asking for uh, application says you're like hang on a second why do you need to know all of this just for me to go for a job application i know there's some stuff you need to ask if i'm actually going to be employed but why would i want to share that detail mm-hmm. you know about that, that that detail with you, you know, that is, as you said, that ick factor. Like, oh, I'm not sure about that. And it's why I've, you know, really yeah. have started using, you know, and we, we talked to uh, Helen Horseman Allen from Fastmail about this, but the concept of massed emails, being able to segregate your, I use a different massed email for every job application. Yes, it probably looks unprofessional, but I can say, well, no, I just, you know, I've had to change my email address with a DWP, the um, benefits people, because they passed on my data, like almost everything about me to a survey company. Yeah, it's frustrating when you can track it back as well. So I used to do that with um, like I had uh, like a dot, um, you know, so my, my personal email, I can put a dot and then I usually would put like the domain name of who, of whatever it was. And I, and, and when that very, there were a bunch of LinkedIn, um, uh, hacks well quite a while ago and I knew it was LinkedIn that had, had leaked my information to like it was like a food company or something I like like a Just Eat or you know whatever that sort of thing oh, yeah. that sort of company and and I was getting emails from them advertising their food delivery service but it was to my LinkedIn thing and I was like that's not right and so I wrote to LinkedIn and said look has something happened have you been hacked and they're like no 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 we're fine I'm like but I'm getting these emails anyway it wasn't until I think five years later that they finally acknowledged that they'd been hacked back at the time when I actually wrote to them and said, wow. you know, what's going on. And since then, I've been like, uh, I, <laughs> I go to PAX East quite frequently in Boston and LinkedIn have an office on the walkway from <laughs> um, where my hotel usually is and the conference center. And every time I walk past, I shake my fist at them and I say, you leaked my email. <laughs> damn <laughs> so I'm you, a little LinkedIn. bit petty like that. Yeah, damn you, LinkedIn. <laughs> And that is actually one reason why, I mean, I, I, I didn't the, the same as James. I'm putting in everything in the masked email. And I mean, James was even like, why are you doing all this? I'm like, I just want to protect my email. I want to make sure that like, I know who's doing what. Cause yeah. I have so many emails coming in from so many different places that I'm like, how did you get this email? I, I remember when I, I bought <laughs> batteries on Amazon, all of a sudden I go, I'm getting ads on an, on Facebook for batteries. And I'm just like, I, I know that's because of the ad agencies and cookies and stuff like that, but it's just, it's, there's no control. I mean, it, it is. I work for a grocery store and I will get ads for this grocery store because of my data in the store. I'm, I'm, I'm working to use yeah. like VPN stuff like that, but the, my own employer is selling my data because I'm yeah. an active shopper at my store. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's rubbish. But the blockchain could change all of that. The blockchain oh, could change all of that, right? 
Really? Because you'd be able to own your data and you'd be able to sell it to the people that you want to sell it to, theoretically, right? So if you owned your own data and then on the something, 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 blockchain, something, something, sell it at, for microtransactions, et cetera, right? That's how it, how it works. <laughs> Sorry, I've just got an image so that's of my, that's the, my uh, transition. That's, that's my, that's my transition. No. <laughs> that's a great yeah. transition. That's, that's an even better transition than a Linus Tech Tips video. There we go. That's saying something. So... <laughs> blockchain oh by the way all i had a picture of it is when you said something something blockchain i just thought of the family guy star wars with palpatine yes. something, something dark side something yes. something <laughs> yeah blockchain that's probably about right what so <laughs> i mean yeah we could say blockchain is massive yeah <laughs> What so I guess the first question for maybe and certainly like I I will admit I know very little about blockchain, about cryptocurrency and NFT. I know enough to know that to go back to what you said, there's an ick factor, there's something that doesn't sit quite right with me about it. But let's start at blockchain, because I think we said pre show, blockchain itself isn't necessary. well, I said, let me rephrase you that. You said it. I said I asked, is blockchain itself a bad thing? So before we go into the ethics of blockchain, what, what, give us a little bit of a, uh, a rundown of what, what blockchain is that maybe even I can understand. Also, I mean, blockchain itself at the very base level of the technology is actually fairly, it, it's a really old technology. It's been around for, I don't know, like 50 years or something like that. It's just that it's not been hyped up until recently. But the, the really the basic, basic idea of it is that it's a publicly, it's a, it's a, dis, public, it's a distributed, publicly accessible, um, shared ledger of transactions, essentially. So it's like having a, you know, an accounting ledger, um, you know, and, uh, it's distributed amongst a bunch of people, right? Or computers, really, when it comes down to it. Distribute a bunch of, between, between these computers and there's an, in, the incentive for them to maintain, uh, to basically, um, maintain this distribution network and also to verify the things that are added to the ledger. So the, um, the, the transactions that are added to the ledger, uh, that, well, Back in the old days, <laughs> it was more a kind of a shared understanding that that's the sort of thing that you would have to do in order to participate, right? A little bit like peer to peer, um, uh, you know, file sharing or whatever. You've got to up upload in order to download, right? You've got to be participating in the network is the old, you know, free open source software kind of community kind of feel to it, right? You've got to participate in order to also benefit. Um, but what, uh, things, what, what the blockchain has become increasingly used for is as, um, not just what's well, a means to an end, but also as the end itself in that the incentive is now, um, this cryptocurrency, um, and the incentive to, to maintain the cryptocurrency is, is cryptocurrency itself. So it becomes both, yeah, both the driving force and the driver of the, like, so the, and the end of what the driving force is, right? So it's no longer being, so, I mean, back in the, uh, the olden days, I mean, it wasn't really used for anything significant. I think probably the best, the best kind of comparison is that there are, there are two different types of blockchain the, at the moment. There's what's called public blockchain, which is all the cryptocurrencies, all the NFTs, all the stuff that you hear about. There's also what's called permission, it's also called permissionless blockchain. So you don't need permission from any kind of central group of people to actually participate in this. There's also this thing called permission blockchain, where basically you have to, um, it's a private, like a private network and someone has to let you in, right? And then, uh, and that's that, so that side of it, I could, you know, that's actually not so bad because then you go back to this old style 
participate in order to benefit kind of situation where, I mean, I can certainly see as, you know, instances where that might be helpful, right? And there have been some discussions about things like using uh, companies that are in logistics, um, you know, using it to keep track of, of, of items that are being transferred between different companies, for example, where they're, they're all competing, but they're cooperating, right? So you've got that kind of situation. So that makes sense for, for, for having a public so something like a, a better way of doing parcel tracking without having to go to every single provider's website, you could just have a global tracking number. The thing is, it, it would be very much behind the scenes, though. It wouldn't actually be publicly okay. accessible at all. And that's the difference, is that it's not publicly accessible. It's very much part of the infrastructure within those companies, right? So th- actually, at the moment, if you take many tracking numbers, not all of them, but if you take, you know, like if you look at, say, for example, the post office, as opposed to, say, DHL or any of the other you know private companies, if I take an Australian post office tracking number and I put it into the Royal Mail postal tracking they'll actually they'll they'll be able to work it out right um and so okay. they sort of do that already <laughs> they're just right, you know it's just okay. the more private the private ones are, are less are less good at that anyway so that's that's a that's a scenario in which maybe blockchain is not so bad i mean I, the thing is is that though is for those sorts of situations is that it's it's quite um costly in term in terms of infrastructure and actually to a large degree just a Essentially, a shared database would probably be a much more efficient, um, and, and, and that you can, you can get shared auditable databases. They've been around for a long time as well. And, and they're also, you know, they're auditable, you know, like a public blockchain is, you know, theoretically. So yeah, so, so there actually, there's, there is existing technology. You don't need to implement blockchain in order to have this feature, basically, is what I'm saying. Right. So, but that's one potential use you could have for it, but it's not a, you know, not an exclusive use case. Right. Um, so then we get to the public blockchain stuff, which is the cryptos and all of that. And what you're basically doing is seeing people transfer, um, tokens between themselves. Um, and, you know, buying, selling, trading, whatever. Uh, and that, that those are what's getting uh, registered on, on, on the ledger. So for example, for Bitcoin, it's very simple. It's just, I have five Bitcoin. I want to give you three Bitcoin. Um, I s- send, um, you that to your address. It gets put onto the ledger that, that transaction gets verified. Um, and you know that you can trust that you have that three Bitcoin sitting in your wallet by the time I say it should be done or whatever, right? And that's the kind of the basics of it. It gets a little bit more complicated when you get into things like NFTs and things like all these DAOs and, um, which are, uh, well, I can't remember what this stands for now. <laughs> I have, I'm on maternity leave. So my brain sort of, you know, most of it works. And then things like acronyms, I just can't remember. <laughs> but, um, anyway, um, I think like distributed autonomous organizations or something like that, something like that. Um, but basically they're like, uh, cooperatives, but they're on the blockchain. So you have, you can buy tokens that give you voting rights, um, that help you manage, you know, decide what's going to happen on that blockchain and how, you know, what the, the next feature might be or whatever. And the idea is that kind of distributes and makes democratic, um, various, um, aspects of the project that you happen to be buying into, right? And, <sighs> There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people think they've found the magic use case for blockchain, but honestly, the only real use case there is for blockchain is through Bitcoin, um, and its use as ransomware payment, a ransomware payment system and to potentially buy drugs and other illegal things on the darknet. And that's pretty much the only Bitcoin slash cryptocurrency 
only use case that, <laughs> that you can get as far as I'm concerned. And as you probably might know, those are not the most ethical uses of technology in the world. No. So I would not say that there is any actual ethical use case for cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or, or blockchain, because basically all of it resides on this uh, requirement for it to have an underlying cryptocurrency that builds in the um, the the uh, incentives for people to maintain the blockchain, right? So the 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 fact that 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 cryptocurrency can then be like if that if that was all if people were just getting paid to verify transactions, that would be fine. But the problem is is that that cryptocurrency can also be used as a speculative mechanism, and when you mix the two. That's when you get, um, people who like do things like pump and dump schemes, when people, you know, basically outright, you know, commit fraud. Um, and, and the fact is, is that crypto, blockchain based cryptocurrencies are essentially a, um, greater fool situation. In order for someone to be able to, um, get their cash out of a crypto, uh, out of a cryptocurrency, somebody else has to be paying cash in. And that, right. you know, the, 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 that's the only way you can get it back out again. So, I mean, that someone might be, you know, you, <laughs> it might be like a, a hedge fund. It might be, you know, but really ultimately it comes back down to the people, the people who come in late to the game are the ones who tend to be the less, uh, the most vulnerable and the ones who tend to be left he- holding the bag, as they say. So we call, they call, often called the bag holders because they're the ones who are left with an, uh, diminishing value product uh, essentially like so uh, a token like so for example um, people who bought bitcoin back in november of last year um, thinking oh it's going to go up and it's going to keep going and keep going and keep going because that's how it's been going they uh, were often left holding the bag in july this year when it crashed so that's you know they will and they will have lost a lot of money and and the big issue for crypto type currencies is that um, there's a lot of focus, particularly in the media, on those who make it big, uh, not so much on those who lose a lot because the people who tend to lose a lot of money don't like to talk about it because a lot of them have done things like take out loans or remortgage their house or use money that their family doesn't know about or like you know you know they they don't know they've spent the money on buying crypto etc etc so there's a lot of vulnerable people who have lost a lot um and but the focus has tended to be on the people who've made a lot of money and that's that's been a real problem up until fairly recently i would say i think the latest crash has shown the issues with you know there being a lot of people on the receiving end of of having you know being the bag holders for things like ftx for example um, and some of the other big uh, exchanges, for example. So, yeah. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, oh, from my point of view. Jay, I think you were going to ask something. It, absolutely. It, it, it does help a lot. And um, one podcast I want to recommend, um, it's, a, it's, it, it's a type of these cryptocurrencies, the Missing Crypto Queen. It's an ama- I, I, Catherine, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you've heard of that one. It is an amazing um, podcast, and it's just yes, it shows a, a, like that one opened my eyes to a lot of things. Yes, that one was pure fraud, though. That wasn't even a cryptocurrency. It was a crypto like. Um, there wasn't even a real. There wasn't even a blockchain involved. It was just someone with a with a database that, and they manipulated the hell out of it. It was really bad. It was just straight up fraud. That was yeah. The, the uh, organization could edit the, the 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 database and add all this stuff. And 
the 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 thing that that came to mind is I've heard a lot of reports about like these like the supposed transparency of the 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 wallet, but then somebody getting their wallet hacked, and all of a sudden within seconds the money is changed hands so many times that like the FBI or whoever's trying to find the stuff cannot find the information again. And there's so many like ways to move things around. And even a um, type of uh, transaction that I don't want to mention on this podcast that is used a lot for, for Bitcoin and, and, and from what, what I've read about that stuff. And it, and it, it just, it, it breaks my heart how like as much as some people may have some issues with, with the banking systems, how at least with there, there's a little bit more, control there's a little bit more audit trail um whereas here if somebody gets your money it's gone and at least what yeah. i've read is that pretty no true? that's 100 percent. yep and in fact there were some um cryptocurrency exchanges that got into a lot of trouble because they were saying that they were fdic approved which in america means that there's a certain guarantee that you'll get your um deposits back a bit like in the uk we have um uh, deposit uh, guarantees. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, financial <laughs> Services Compensation Scheme. I think that's the F- one. Thank uh, you. Yep, that's it. No, yeah. so I used so, to yeah, work in banking, yeah. so I, I, yeah. I know it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, so 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 basically, you know, if you put up to a certain amount of money into a UK bank, if the bank f- goes under, you'll be you'll be able to get, I think it's like eighty five grand. I think you can put into a bank account, um, and you'll be able to get that money back. Um, and and uh, you know, I think it goes back to the government essentially. So taxpayers step in, hooray! Thanks taxpayers. But um, but with these cryptocurrency exchanges, that there's nothing like that. And one certainly there were at least one of the ones in America got into trouble. For, for saying that they had that sort of um, protection when they didn't. The problem is, of course, is that, that they, they, you've got to remember that this, a lot of these ex- exchanges, so exchanges are kind of a complex beast in crypto, right? Because the idea, you know, you think of an exchange, you think, oh, I take my cash and I change it into Bitcoin or I change it into Ethereum or whatever the coin is that I want to change it to. And then something happens. What I sit on it. Right. I, I, you know, like I take like, like back in the beginning, I was talked about how I had my Bitcoin on my computer, right. In a, in a wallet and it got wiped. Um, these days, a lot of the techno, a lot of the software that's associated with crypto actually tends to store your Bitcoin or whatever, not on your computer because of that might happen. Right. So it's store instead it stores it in the cloud. But the cloud generally is one of these exchanges, and these exchanges will often then hold on to people's um, money, essentially, um, and their cryptocurrency. And then what they often do is they go off and they actually gamble with it. <laughs> and <laughs> so they'll say to you, "Oh, you've got ten Bitcoin in your in your wallet online, but you don't really have ten Bitcoin because they've actually given that Bitcoin to a hedge fund to go and do silly things with it, which is what happened with the FTX." Um, is that's ex- so, so that's how that crashed is because then people started coming back. This started leaking out that might, there might be some silly things going on. And people started coming and trying to claw back their cash, right? Or, you know, change or change it into Bitcoin or change it or, you know, basically try to get that, that, that money back out. And they had a bank run essentially. And it, they didn't have the liquidity. They didn't have the, the, the customer deposits stored. Um, they just, they, they didn't have that. To give back, so they they failed. Like they failed, basically. That's that's how it crashed and, and burned a lot of people. 
So a lot of people's, yeah, like they, the purists will say, oh, well, that's their fault. They should have downloaded it onto a secure computer and I don't know, put it on a USB stick and dug a hole and stuck it in their garden or whatever, like, you know, whatever it is that, 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 but that's just not accept, accessible to most people. And also a lot of these exchanges are advertising themselves as being safe places to keep your money. Like they look like banks. They have apps like banks. They, you know, behave. They have, they say all the same sorts of things that banks sort of say, except there's like, you know, a whole bunch of little tiny print at the bottom that says, oh, these aren't, you know, guaranteed, blah, 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 you know, et cetera. Right. And that's actually, I think is also really irresponsible. <laughs> no, Cause I'm reminded of like one of them, Mount Gox was, was one that, that I had remembered reading about years ago. Those were the first ones. Yeah. And there is no, uh, I mean, I know in this country, we, there's been talk about starting to regulate um, cryptocurrency. But at the moment, correct me if I'm wrong, there's very little government regulation on, on uh, cryptocurrency around the world. I, I can't think, again, this is where I'm going to show my ignorance, I can't think of a single country that is regulating so the IRS is coming for Americans um, to pay tax on some of their crypto stuff now, but it te- really it really depends on who you are and how much the IRS is already looking at you. <laughs> They're seizing. Um, so if there's fraud cases, for example, they are seizing cryptocurrency. Um, and I think also HMRC has been looking very much at the tax. It's, it's, it's coming through tax because they don't right. want to lose like lose out on the tax, right? So it's not about necessarily the the morality of it. It's the fact, hey, we want tax money. God, no. You think the government cares about morality of this stuff? No, they oh. want the money. <laughs> they, they're, they're, very, they're very cross about the fact that they're, you know, people are, are using this instead of going through the Bank of England or, you know, whatever the American Fed, the Fed, right? That's what it is there, um, the Federal Bank. And, uh, you know, they're very cross about that. And this is why you get, like, politicians saying, oh, maybe we should do our own cryptocurrency through the Bank of England. The Britcoin, I remember, I remember going on the radio a few times to talk about Britcoin and um and and that was you know i mean it's it's just ridiculous they can't i mean the thing is we already have like bitcoin it's 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 contactless payments right i mean that's that's what we have and 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 that's you know like like i mean one of my biggest arguments against all this is that there is already technology that does all the stuff that this that they promise you know they they say they they want to do and it's, you know, better for the environment. It's, you know, less, um, likely to be used as fraudulently. It's, it's more regular, regulatory compliancy, you know, and, and, and it's, it's, you know, and it's already existing and well tested. And it's not a bunch of bros from Silicon Valley who think they can make a lot of money off a lot of, a lot of other people. Right. And yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, this is the problem. The problem really is that these, a lot of this stuff is so, technologically driven that they don't really stop to sort of think, okay, well, what is the actual problem that we're solving here? Right. They just think, Oh, we've got this really cool technology. Let's go for it. Let's make it. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens as we go. You know, we'll see what people, maybe people will innovate and they call this innovation. Right. But really it's, it's, it's a, it's a solution looking for a problem. And the fact that it's been around since, well, before 2011, I mean, I, re- I did my first Bitcoin, study really in in 2011 but i mean ethereum came out not too long after that and i mean it's been around for years now and still 
the only real use cases that we've got are essentially illegal ones. Um, so aiding and abetting. <laughs> um, so it's not, um, it's, 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 it's still, and, and there's a lot of people who are like, oh, but it's still in its infancy. We're still working out what we can do with it. And it's like, no, 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 you, you know, th- there's mm. a lot of, um, they call it hopium. Um, <laughs> that is, uh, you know, they, they, they hope that it's going to be good for something. But, and that drives a lot of it, but really, um, what's behind it is a lot of, a lot of, uh, smoke and mirrors, unfortunately. I, I've got a, a question. How does, how does it compare to things like V-Bucks or Nintendo eShop coins? Things where like you buy from a company. It, am I right that the biggest difference is Bitcoin is that public ledger versus you're buying from a private company's ledger of, yeah, so many coins or like even gift cards? Yes, no, you're right. Absolutely right. So if I buy some, I don't know, and Nintendo e-coins or, or whatever, right? I, you know, I mean, there's only a certain number of places I could use them, like the shop, Nintendo shop. Um, and maybe I could buy, I don't know, maybe I could buy like an amiibo or something with it. Like if, if you want a physical thing, right? But with this theoretically, I mean, you know, it is like, and that, what really is underlying that is a centralized database that's centralized, right? So Nintendo runs, owns, maintains, um, updates, etc. This database, right? And they they own that. Whereas with the Bitcoin or um, other uh, cryptocurrencies, it's shared amongst a, a pool of a, a group of you know a whole bunch of people, right? And they they're often called miners, especially for the proof of work one. So Bitcoin, for example, is miners. If the proof of stake type blockchains, which this is where it gets very, the, the, the environment stuff starts to come in here, right? So there's proof of work and proof of stake. Proof of work is basically the one that's dreadful for the environment because it is in an increasingly um, complicated set of mathematical puzzles that people have to solve in order to validate uh, transactions on the on the database, essentially on, on, on the ledger. That's Bitcoin. And it used to be Ethereum. So Ethereum has just completed their merge, what they called, which was a transition from proof of work to proof of stake. Now, proof of stake is basically people who have the most money win. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically. So, um, you stake, if you want to become part of this process by which you earn Ethereum in order to, as your incentive to help maintain the, the, the ledger, um, you basically stake Ethereum. So you put up a stake saying, look, um, I'm going to put up this amount. And if, if this uh, ver- validation, uh, if this thing fails, then I lose my, my money basically. Um, and so, um, uh, that's, and that's, that's how it works. Right. And then you get a little bit of extra back if it's, a, if it's successful. And really what that, what that changes is it changes, uh, the people who are involved in the, the low level technology of it in terms of the maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. It changes that from a pool of people that have a lot of money to buy a lot of hardware and can move shipping containers around, um, to the cheapest energy sources, uh, in the US, <laughs> right? Mostly these days because China shut it all down. But I mean, they're literally carting shipping containers full of rigs to like, um, you know, deepest, darkest Texas where there might be a methane flare or something like that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's changed it from that group of people who have a lot of money to do that to just a whole bunch of people who have a lot of money who can put up lots of potential stakes, right? So it's a bit like, 
I know it's a bit like buying a lottery ticket. The more lottery tickets you buy, the more likely you are to win, right? Theoretically. Um, and so the more chance, more, the more ETH, Ethereum you, you stake or the more cryptocurrency you stake, the more likely you are to be chosen to do the ver- verification for, for a transaction. And then you get the payment. So it's changed it. It's just changed it slightly, but it's changed it from very, very, um, environmentally problematic to just very rich people. But then there's a whole bunch of other problems that come with proof of stake in that it's not as good a system as proof of work um, because uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with like pools and you can get all your, you know, cartels essentially, you can form a cartel <laughs> and like, and start to manipulate the, the, the blockchain. And uh, it just gets really, really, really complicated from a technological perspective. But um the difference between that and the Nintendo thing is that Nintendo owns, maintains everything, the database. Here we have the people who um, are essentially buying into the system in order to uh, maintain, you know, and, and, and get rewarded for that. And, some, and it's actually quite, you know, really, really good rewards. Um, they, they're the ones who, who essentially run, run it. And this is, this becomes kind of more important when you get into some of these kind of cooperatives where people are trying to kind of steer a project in a particular direction because the more money you have to buy the votes in your, um, DAO, <laughs> uh, the more like, the, the more impact you're going to have on the direction of that DAO. And so they sort of, they sort of say things like, oh, well, it's going to be democratic and everyone can get a vote and you got to, you know, you, you, you get the amount, you know, out of, out that you put in sort of thing. But then you get DAOs that like, I mean, there was one DAO that basically <laughs> kicked the original owner out of the, of the DAO and then uh, <laughs> essentially performed a coup. Um, and like stuff like that happened. There was another one um, where they used um, this this uh, the ability to buy votes essentially to steal all the money that was sitting in a DAO um, because they banded together with some other people and then they basically just shared the money out like you you know like a heist. <laughs> um, so there's these like there's a whole bunch of interesting sort of social stuff that gets plastered on top of this right and this is a thing with technology is that you know the technology underlying it is fairly simple right you have you know as far as technology goes it's actually not too complicated but what they don't account for is that social layer and the social layer is the really complicated one that people just can't really predict and how people are going to respond to this how they're going to interact with it how it's going to affect their lives you know and 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 this is where a lot of i think the kind of um the technologists get quite blind blinkered by the technology and they really don't try to anticipate any of the other the issues that might happen when it hits society and then it's only when the, the you know the technological rubber hits the societal road <laughs> that you get the problems right because suddenly you've got this technology that's actually quite powerful if simple it's quite powerful and and the wrong people use it in the wrong way or, you know, and, and these, the people who develop it never think about this or they, they try not to think about it. They don't want to think about it. They just want to think about their utopian vision of what the technology might, might bring. And this is, this is really, I mean, this is a, not a problem unique to blockchain at all, but it's, uh, it's certainly a very, um, a loud example of where it can go horribly wrong, I think. <laughs> And, you know, we talk about, you know, we're talking about the environmental impact. These mining rigs, they require, as well as, correct me if I'm wrong here, as well as mathematical calculations become more and more complex, that requires faster and faster. Now, typically, this is all done uh, on GPUs, on graphics cards, because 
a, a graphics card actually is better for mathematical calculation than your yeah. traditional CPU. And so you see, and I think a really good example of societal impact where cryptocurrency has impacted the wider society is when we had the stupidity of not being able to get graphics cards or graphics cards being designed exclusively and for for mining and what you know up until what maybe earlier this year mm. you were talking ridiculous money for even a half decent gpu and that then impacted people who wanted to play games they weren't interested in crypto they just wanted to play the latest cyberpunk 2077 we're on half decent settings. Uh, and then, of course, let's just not brush over this. There's the whole environmental impact. Energy. We are we are meant to be looking after this planet. Yes. And all these crypto rigs, I, I'm really sorry, folks. We're not doing that. They are just sucking up energy yeah. for no real societal benefit. Well, they, I mean, so their argument, right? So that they always, they have an argument for everything. Their argument is that, um, yes, it's environmentally damaging, but the good that it's bringing to society by freeing us of the shackles of regulated, uh, banking institutions is worth, is worth that damage, right? And this is the really, the, the real, like the hard, purists right and and i mean they, they sort of yeah i mean it really is and and there are quite a surprising number of them um, but uh they're, they're very much um like they they feel that that is is the most pressing issue really is that that that, that we're not free enough uh in our and and then you know because if we were if we were all free of of this of the shackles of of the institutions then we could put all this money into saving the environment and it'd be a lot more money than um that it would take the, to actually mine the, do the mining of the cryptocurrency blah 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 oh also we've got these new products coming out called like lightning and stuff like that which will make it make make those transactions quicker and, and easier and and also oh we're banking the unbanked is the other one right so this is where we're giving giving the freedom of 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 capitalism to um the uh people who don't normally have bank accounts in developing countries and 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 you know without even thinking well have you even asked them if they want this like i mean yeah. you know who actually like there's also a lot of systems in these i mean it, once again the technology already exists as well because like places like kenya have been using mpesa which is a mobile phone based um banking system which basically trans um it um trades in uh minutes like mobile phone minutes which which is okay you know basically a, a currency there right and it, it and, and you can trade in minutes in a lot of these a lot of places instead of um cash or 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 you know using electronic uh, electronic payments and things like that because that's actually a lot more convenient for people and so it's it, it, i mean these systems already exist yes they're centralized and yes but but that means then they're also regulated they're more safe for the people who are using them there's more trust in the banking system because of that etc cetera, etc cetera. so like i mean it's really frustrating to see a lot of these arguments because they like they they a few of them will put them out and then everyone just takes them as given without even really investigating whether they whether there's actually anything like whether even people want that and 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 whether you know it's actually feasible to do it because if you think about it if they're having prob- if people you know banking who people who don't have bank accounts are probably the sort of people that don't have high availability internet connections and what happens with when those go down like can you how do you still pay with your bitcoin when you have you know you're running off a, a, a backup generator because there's no you know power like i mean there's there's a whole bunch of 
problems just with the, the technological side of it, let alone the, you know, moral, um, you know, uh, aspects of the, the whole incentive system that drive, like the speculative invest in, incentive system that, that drives the whole economy, right? So it's, it's, it's really problematic from multiple levels. <laughs> the one aspect that I do think on, on the underlying technology I do like is, but we already had it before is the peer to peer files, uh, BitTorrent, st- stuff like that, where you're, hmm. say, say like, like Blizzard, when, when, I don't know, I, I think Blizzard now moved to a centralized CDM, but when, when, when Blizzard was first starting out, they would use a lot of the, the peer to peer on that to serve patches. Cause whenever a, a patch for World of Warcraft came out when I was, when I was a, a, a young 14 year old, I would, I would go on patch Tuesday instead of having this overloaded server, I would, I would, uh, download the, the 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 patch while I'm at school. I would just like start the, the downloader, and while I'm there, other people would, would be getting the patch as well. It, and stuff like that, I see. I saw was a a good thing, but like, I I do like that aspect of of the technology. But mm. that was less money focused. That was more just trying to solve a a a capacity bandwidth issue that we kind of have solved yeah. a little bit now now with, with the cloud. The whole concept of CDNs have solved a lot of that issue because yeah. back then it would have been just one Blizzard server, maybe two or three, but now that gets handed over to companies like Akamai, Akamai or Cloudflare. But sorry, Jay, go on, ask, ask your question. Oh, no, and, and so how much of that technology is is, is blockchain based off of or is, is that more of the, the concept that it's based off of? No, this is the thing, right? Like the whole blockchain thing is so separate. And this is what they want to say is they want to say, oh, Web3 is going to be the decentralized web and all this sort of stuff, right? And it's all going to be based on blockchain. And I mean, we're joking around before about how you could, you know, sell your private information on blockchain. But that's actually one of the things they want to be able to do, right, is be able to have microtransactions for everything. So theoretically, it's all decentralized. And I don't know, like the problem is it's such vaporware. You can't even really like start to describe how it actually works because it's, there's nothing there yet. <laughs> like it's all just pie in the sky stuff, right? But we've had like decentralized stuff for, for, for decades now. I mean, I'm an old school Linux nerd. I mean, I've been running my, I ran my own mail server back in like night, like I think I got my first domain name in, in 2000 and I ran my own mail server and like, and I had to stop doing that recently because basically, um, I, I run it off a, um, a virtual private server, right? And, um, but because nowadays the big email companies won't let you basically run your own mail server anymore because they're just so worried about spam that anything that looks like it doesn't come from one of the other big email companies, they automatically, at least they, they sort of soft block you, if not fully block you. And so it's really frustrating. So I had to move to actually, I've moved to Fastmail. Would you believe? So there you go. It's an advertisement for your hey, previous. Uh, nice. I have a lot of I have a lot of respect for Fastmail. So uh, you know, it was good to see that you had her on. Actually, I enjoyed that uh, interview very much. Um, <laughs> that's the one I had to listen to, of course. Yeah. So so I moved to Fastmail because I couldn't run my own server anymore because it kept on getting um, spam blocked by Hotmail and Gmail. But that was the original decentralized web. The idea was that if you you had a domain name, you ran your own mail server, you ran your own web server you ran your own like i mean you could run an irc server you could run a like pretty much you could run run all of this stuff you know uh, on your own server and that was the de- like it was decentralized no everyone wasn't on google everyone wasn't on you know um 
uh, Twitter or, or, or Facebook. Um, they're, you know, they, they, you run your own stuff. And so it really angers me actually quite a lot. <laughs> I get very cross about this. The fact that they're sort of trying to hijack that really, you know, quite, um, old original idea of what the decentralized web was and just put this horrible, junk into it that just it doesn't make sense it's it's it it serves only to to improve the lives of those who've already bought into it and it's really just a, you know it's it's a it's a way for a bunch of venture capital companies to make a whole bunch of money off the backs of people that are probably vulnerable and don't have the money to 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 lose and rah, it makes me really cross <laughs> so yes so they take the anger <laughs> they take all the talk they take all the talking points of that they take all the lovely, you know, peer to peerness, you know, I mean, they, they take all of that and they, they apply it to their garbage. And really what we should be looking at, I mean, and this is why I love the fact that since when Twitter is kind of like, well, as Twitter is exploding, people are moving back to decentralized, like properly decentralized Mast- stuff. Yeah, Mastodon, Mastodon, right? I'm yeah. on Mastodon. I would be running my own server if I wasn't a moderator on a, a friend's server, which I, I just don't want to have to deal with. <sighs> I've been a sysadmin for too long, and I don't want to deal with the drama. <laughs> Basically, correct me if I'm wrong, and we can we can cut this out. You're are you moderator on Mastodon.me.uk? Yes, I am. Me.uk. Yep, yep, yep. yep. I'm a moderator okay, there. So, yep. So yep. that's so just for complete transparency, James. Um, Smith, who was on our Into a Fediverse episode, actually introduced me to Catherine to get Catherine on the show to talk about this stuff. And I mean, you know that's what me and James were talking, talking about, you know, old, e, you know, old IRC servers, old email servers, um, web yeah. servers, you know, look, the Crosswise website, we're not using WordPress as a service. We have our own DigitalOcean droplet, which is what effectively still a VPS at the end of the day. It's still a web yeah, server. Yeah, it's just but you, you only have to deal with, you don't have to deal with all the other garbage of it. <laughs> yeah. No, so. no. Yeah, but you know that's what decentralized should be looking like. Now you talked mm. about, <laughs> and maybe I think this might be our sort of our uh, heading into the wrap up. But I did want to talk about NFTs because <laughs> yeah. you one of the things I know you talk about is the ethics of video games. I am mm. so sick of video games companies, particularly maybe some of the old ones, who are trying to bring back things, turning to NFTs. Now NFT, now correct me if I'm wrong, non fungible token. Right. Again, what, like, it, what's the idea here that you can prove that you own a piece of something, maybe like some artwork or some special character card via the blockchain? Yeah. So basically, yeah. I'll, do we, I'll just do the, the quick, the quick explanation. So like we were talking about the ledgers on the, on the blockchain, really all what an N- NFT is, is like, so with Bitcoin or one of the other cryptocurrencies, all it's saying is when you write the, the entry on the, on the blockchain, all it says was, um, money at this amount sent from this, per, this wallet to that wallet. But with a, an NFT, you can actually, um, with the NFT layer, essentially, you can write a little bit more. And that little bit more can be something like a URL or, um, I don't know, some, you could even potentially upload files and things to that little bit more, but they don't do it because it's very slow and it costs a lot of, well, it used to cost a lot of gas and it still probably does cost a lot of gas to do it on, on which is the processing fee, I guess you could call it, but it used to be the, essentially the uh, environmental impact uh, <laughs> waiver <laughs> um, <laughs> that Ethereum had. And I really, I mean, if, if, 
I mean, this is even before we get to the, like, the, the, it also would, the more gas you pay, the, the sooner you're, you get pushed up the queue to get your um, transaction approved, essentially. So there's a whole bunch of other stupid stuff behind that. Um, cause they just don't have enough bandwidth for all these transactions. It's, oh, it's garbage. Anyway, <laughs> this technology sucks. It's really bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Doesn't even do what they want it to do out of the tin. <laughs> it's terrible. So hang on, are we saying that, NFT, that NFTs and um, the blockchain is basically like a printer? It doesn't do what it's meant yes. to do. <laughs> yeah, yes. the blockchain doesn't act. They have to do so much stuff to the blockchain just to make it like reach the number of um, transactions that they want want it to have. Like it's it's like anyway, it's really slow. It's really slow. It's like trying to print you know a five hundred page document on a dot matrix print printer, Ooh. and like you know, and and then they they think, oh well, maybe we'll, we'll we'll hook two dot matrix printers up, and we'll 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 get them to go together, and they'll only they'll only be half as slow. That's pretty much what they're doing. But anyway. <laughs> So NFTs, right? So you can write that a little bit more. And what a, what the original NFT was supposed to do was essentially show um, um, ownership of something. Like it was like it's supposed to be like a digital certificate says um, this wallet owns the thing that is written, you know, whatever it is in that in that thing, right? Um, and actually, Anil Dash, um, who was one of the first, basically like coded this stuff up with a with a um, I think it was like a musician friend of his. Uh, in like, or some sort of artist friend, um, in like two seconds sort of thing. Like they just, and there was a proof of concept where they just basically plonked a URL in there and said, okay, well, this is the idea is that they, whoever, whoever, whoever has this uh, certificate will own whatever is at that, that URL. But of course, you know, we all know that URLs fail and, and whatever. And they weren't expecting it to be ever used like that. But that's actually how it ended up being used was that a whole bunch of people just essentially put, tacked URLs in there. Um, I mean, we've already seen them kind of go astray <laughs> and, 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 and break down already. So, and, and the problem is, is because the blockchain is immutable, which means it can't be modified, you can't actually change the URL. Once you've, once you've registered the NFT as, you know, you can't actually change what's inside that NFT. Now, to make things a little bit more complicated, um, NFTs can also have code in them. And so this is actually how the DAOs and stuff work that I was talking about, the voting and all that. Um, that's actually how this works, but, um, they can actually, so they're called smart contracts. And what it is is essentially code and it basically puts into um, practice their code is law kind of philosophy because once you write that code, you can't change it. <laughs> so if you have a bug in your code, you can't change it. And there's been some video games that have actually been like some of these um, blockchain-based video games. They've had to withdraw all of their NFTs and redo them all because of the fact that they couldn't actually um, – uh, yeah, they, 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 there was a bug in the code that, that meant that it didn't work properly or something like that. So yeah, it's really bad. So, um, the video game side of things, you'll be pleased to know that certainly I, I've been working with quite a few big video game companies on their NFT, um, basic, uh, on their NFT approaches. And I've had a lot of mostly backdoor kind of conversations with people that have then made their way into the, you know, the halls of power, so to speak. Um, mostly just, they just didn't know what they were. So they were mostly just investigating them. Um, and now they know they're rubbish and most of them are not going to do, you touch them with the 10 foot pole. So, I mean, you know, you saw Ubisoft's, um, venture, for example, yeah. um, in the cloud, uh, it was cloud Re uh, recon or whatever it was, uh, ghost recon. Oh, yeah, ghost I don't recon. play those games. Yeah. Ghost recon. Yep. Anyway, they, um, 
it uh, failed miserably. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and certainly some of the other big companies that I've been having conversations with are not interested. Like they, the thing is, is they have to say they're interested because they don't want to miss out on the hype. And then, and you know, if there's money being thrown at them to investigate, they'll totally investigate. Right. So, I mean, uh, and that's fair enough. Right. I mean, if you don't know about a thing, go find out about a thing. If you get money to find out about a thing, even better. Right. So, um, yeah, but I can tell you that they're pretty much not not at all interested. So what that leaves you with is a whole bunch of these little startups who are doing essentially these like play to win type games, um, or they're doing things like um, play to to help the environment, which is just so oh makes me very upset. <laughs> um, but it's basically play to uh, exploit other people um, because a lot of these uh, play to win games um, essentially uh, take advantage of the fact that. Um, a certain amount of cryptocurrency is worth a lot more in other countries than it is in, say, the US. And so they essentially set up systems by which they get a whole army of people who live in um, less developed countries to essentially do the work for them. So it's not play to win, it's work to pay. <laughs> um, right. And wow. yeah, so this is what happened with Axie Infinity. So there were a lot of, um, uh, before Axie Infinity kind of completely just died. Well, I mean, they, they had a whole lot of problems um, with the uh, balancing the game um, because of, of the fact that they basically had um, a whole lot of people who hi essentially hired a whole bunch of um, players from the Philippines in particular. I mean, there are other countries too, but the Philippines had the, the, the huge number of players that signed up to make a lot of money, right? And they, ma they made a lot of money, but they had to buy in. To, you have to buy into play, well, you used to have to buy into play Axie Infinity. So what they would do is they take a loan out from one of these big players and then they'd start playing. They'd pay their loan back and then they would also then, then become, you know, go on to, to make money themselves theoretically. That's how theoretically it was supposed to be. So it was like indentured labor, basically. Um, and, um, Anyway, the problem was is that Axie Infinity had a lot of trouble with their game economy and they couldn't balance it very well. So there was a lot of the stuff that these people were farming for these big players that was theoretically worth money. Axie Infinity nerfed it. And so suddenly it wasn't worth any money anymore. And so these people weren't getting the pay they were thinking they were going to get. So they just quit. And so it left a whole bunch of people, you know, without any of their indentured servants, <laughs> um, <laughs> theoretically. So yeah, so it was really, it was really problem, problematic. Um, and the, the, the biggest issue with the video, with these sorts of video games is it's, it's not so much about the actual technology. It's about, it's, it comes back to the same things that all games, all online games struggle, which, which is balance and economy, right? And how do you deal with, Things where you can, you can, um, trade with, with real money for something. So Diablo, remember the Diablo three auction house, yeah. um, debacle. Yeah. So, I mean, they learned that many years ago that it's a really bad idea to have functional items, you know, pay, you can being able to buy things, um, functional items for money, for real money. And it's best just to leave it to, you know, skins and cosmetics and whatever, which is what they have now. And I think a lot of these other companies are starting to realize that actually, you know, these are really just once again used as speculative investment as investment tools and they're not actually people enjoying playing a game. They're people working to make money. And that's a very different game experience. It's not and, and, and many people would say that's not a game anymore. That's actually just work. Um so yeah, so that's that's the that that's now I think where games are on that. I mean, there might be a couple of big games that still haven't big companies that haven't quite worked their 
work themselves out yet. But I think most of the big ones I've talked to seem to hopefully, fingers crossed, have sorted themselves out on which side they're going to come down on that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Second Life, I know, was one of the ones, not in NFT, but like that like was, was one of the first game type chat worlds. Well, no, second, because Active, Active Worlds, I, I was, I was a, a chat member of Active Worlds, and it was a 3D chat program where you could buy models from artists. So you were paying artists real money for items you could then upload to your- Yeah, which is great. Like, fantastic. Yeah. I think that's great. But as soon as those things become functional in a way that means you win a game better than somebody that doesn't have yeah. that, yeah. that's where you have the problems. Yeah, It's one reason yeah. why I love Apple Arcade is I know at, I, I know at least when I download a game, like I, I downloaded SpongeBob Solitaire Pants, it's a lot of fun, there, there's no microtransaction that I can just yeah. play. And- <laughs> well, you introduced me to a game recently, There Is No Game, and a whole chapter of that is where the game goes free to play in order yes. to progress you have to literally buy items not as oh you know like oh give me an advantage actually to progress the story i i don't have a problem with things like dlc when it's done responsibly like when dlc becomes additive not essential so yeah. i think we talked about um jay um you know star wars uh lego star wars the skywalker saga where yes. you actually have to pay for the characters you can't just unlock them yeah, and that and, and and the problem there for me fundamentally comes down to what's the target audience. I, I remember, genuinely remember this. Like this is one of the most standout moments of my time in banking, when uh, I was working. I'd been trained up. I originally started out working in savings, trained up to work in bank accounts. I won't name which bank it was, but it was quite a big bank here in the UK, and. Um, a, a mother had called up because her child, I, I can't remember the age, maybe about eight, eight or nine, had she'd linked her card to his Xbox Live account, as you do. Yeah, Oops. Catherine's face already, you could yeah. see. Yeah, and he'd spent something like £800 on Xbox Live points because he mm. didn't understand. But that That's equals, real money. But the game saying, hey, you can get all these lovely things by, by using these points or by paying them. And of course, it's that you are, again, going back to the vulnerability. It's one of my biggest problems mm. with tech is taking advantage of the vulnerable that, you know, you talked about the, you know, computer, the, the ACM code of practice. I think if we had better codes of practice for, I want to be very careful how I say this for certain computer repair shops who have about zero ethics when it comes to repairing people's tech. Because mm. the point is, this this poor woman, you know, single mother from what I remember, she, there was nothing the bank was going to do for her. Why would we? Mm. Wasn't wasn't our problem. Yeah. She got the service she, she paid for. Yeah. I mean this is this is this is a big issue. Yeah. I mean um so I'm actually one of one of the projects that I'm working on at the moment with the colleagues at York is we are working with a large bank which I won't talk about um and we are looking at um expenditure on video games um uh, in particular as part of their financial um they they're looking at um uh, ways to understand financial well-being and Good. this is one of the things is where we're actually looking at um uh problematic video game expenditure uh, to look at people who are perhaps being um you know, uh, like a lot of it's looking at the fake casino games, like those, those casino games that aren't really casino games, yes. but are like casino light games and people still spend loads of money on these games, but they don't get anything out of no. it. Like they don't even get 
a win because they can't actually trade like the, the games can't actually give them money back <laughs> it's crazy so but they're still addicted to them essentially so we're looking at that in in conjunction with um the um um the nhs's uh so the nhs has also got a, a problematic uh, gaming um uh, healthcare section now group that my colleague oh, is involved good. with. Yep. And, um, we're looking at ways of understanding, uh, that sort of thing and, and, you know, potentially mitigate. And I'm, I'm on as kind of like an ethics consultant, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm part of, I'm sort of a PI of the project, but it's a fairly loosely defined project. I don't get any, I don't get any money for this. I'm just there as a, as an interest based thing. So. I mean, that's my conflict of interest thing, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, a, it's going to be an interesting project. It's still in its infancy, but I think it'll be really interesting. And we're also working with a very large video game company, which I, well, actually I can talk about it because it's all, we had press releases. So we're actually working with Unity. Um, and we actually, okay. I mean, I, um, we're, we're working, um, with their Unity analytics. We get the data, um, anonymized and, uh, basically processed, um, Unity analytics data, um, where we can look at, uh, their transactions. So we look at in-app purchases. Uh, we can, we've got all the transactions. So I think going back for several years now. Um, and we're looking at one of the projects actually that my husband is doing for his PhD is on this project. Very complicated, but he's looking at financial well-being. Um, and what, uh, and like things like heavy gameplay. What actually does heavy gameplay look like? And how does that correlate with, um, potentially with transaction, with, with, um, heavy transactional, uh, you know, microtransaction use, for example. So I think it'll be a really interesting project, but this is stuff that's we've only really just nav- navigated through all of the hoops to actually get access to this data after a lot of, um, you know, and, and so we're still at the point where we're just like, oh, there's so much stuff to look at, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it, it, but it's coming out and that's one of the, definitely one of the things that we want to look at is, um, you know, the, um, the, the, he- what we call heavy, heavy, what is called, uh, we, we don't, it's very com- a complex, uh, concept, but what is often called heavy gaming or problematic gaming and, and the financial burden of that. I know free to play has, has the, in some business models has the concept of, I'm using the term I, I read from a paper, whales, the ones who will pay yeah. for most of the game, um, and, the goal is to get your 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 whales who will just pay all this money, um, their terms, and then you get people who will like be incentivized to either try to compete with the whales or try to get things like it. So then right. they will, and then they can never attain. It. I mean, it's one of the reasons I have issues with a lot of a lot of games because I look at DLC. Like one of my favorite game series is The Sims, and I struggle to get back into The Sims Four because of how much DLC I have to buy to get some of the stuff I want. Like back in The Sims mm. One, I would pay artists directly for all this stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't paying, I wasn't paying Maxis or EA for, for this. Yeah. There's a lot of like things I, I probably, mm. I like that you mentioned the casinos because, um, I, um, James and I are, are Twitch streamers. We're, we're launching our, our Twitch stream at some point soon. And w- Twitch was having an issue along with YouTube. Uh, as, as you know, Catherine, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm more saying it to the listeners that like, where like these, these influencers would have an audience be like, Hey, Look at this! We can get all this money, all these things, and they were getting the free rolls or casino things, and it was it was gambling, but not gambling. And it, yeah, it, yeah, it, so much problematic thing. I mean, it, it's why I have an issue with with people with, with with big platforms who don't take responsible look at what are they advocating for, what are they encouraging their audience to do. I I, I was a a whole rant on like ethics of platforms. We, we can. <laughs> 
Maybe we should come back and talk about that one. <laughs> I mean, just just on the whale thing, you'll be interested. You'll be interested to know we've got, actually just got a paper coming out very soon um, where we actually dispel the myths of whales. Um, there are no whales. There are other things, but not whales. Um, yeah, oh. it's we. Yeah, so it's actually a whole spectrum um, that isn't just minnows and whales, and uh, it's actually really interesting. And we will be publishing that soon, hopefully. Maybe even, um, actually it should be in the January edition, I think, of our, um, of, of the new ACM games journal that's just coming out. And, and you had mentioned, um, Anil Dash, who, who, part of NFT. Um, I, I, I knew, I, I followed Anil for years because Anil was one of the, the, um, um, own six apart who did movable type mm-hmm. and people were having trouble with, yeah. with movable type and their control. And that's why they branched off into something that, that into, into, into an open source project. They to that that eventually made WordPress and um, fun fact I'm actually in the copyright of, of WordPress because I contributed to the core when I was a 12 year old I I have my <gasps> my 12 year old alias in the WordPress codex uh, or in the oh, actual WordPress lovely. copyright and yeah but it was like they were having trouble with like six apart was like having some control over movable type it wasn't letting them do some of the things or it was and someone said hey. What if I just went into open source and made what we now have as WordPress? It's 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 always cool to see when people go up against these corporations who it may have started off with the best intentions, but you run into these issues and and they then make it where now so many WordPress sites have been made that for so many mm. different topics and people have been given a voice. Oh yeah, but let's just not go too far and put everything on the blockchain because that's, that's just, that's a little bit too, you know, I mean, innovation's great, but you need to think about what's got, you know, further down the line. I mean, you know, what actually, what actual problem is this solving? Right. And this one definitely had a very specific problem, right? Whereas a lot of the blockchain stuff is really just hiding. It's asking, it's asking, it's saying it has a problem to solve, but what actually that is just a smoke screen for the fact that the people who are running it want to make a lot of money or for the most part. So. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's a very good point. Uh, you're, you know, I think one of the biggest, for me, at least the biggest ethical things to think, consider in technology is, is this solving a problem or is this cr- contributing to or creating a problem? And, you know, we think, I think of things like Mastodon. Mastodon's been around a lot longer than this whole Twitter incident, you know, but Mastodon m- does give a lot more control. Uh, PixelFed, which I think PixelFed's fair, a, a lot more recent than Mastodon. That, a lot, I'm, I love PixelFed because it allows me to share photos that I want to share without being encumbered by Meta. So it solves that problem. Things like, you know, we look at Squadcast, which we're using right now. Squadcast solves the problem of how do you do high-quality recordings over the internet in a simple way that guests... Like, Catherine, I've not had to ask you to do anything apart from jump into a web link to record this episode. Yeah. To be fair, I've also used Squadcast in the past, but <laughs> it was very easy. Yeah. it's it's, it's uh, And this is the reason I used it too, right? Because I was actually also getting guests on that didn't know anything about podcasting and, like, getting them to set up an audacity with, like, and, oh, and hitting, oh, you know, go at the same yeah. time and all that. Yeah, yeah, you've done it all. I can see the looks on your faces. Yes. Yeah, you've done oh, yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the old school way of doing it though, right? Like, oh, that's the Blender, Skype, you know, using yeah, call yeah, record yeah, on a yeah, Mac. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And, you know, and and projects like you know things like um, Tailscale for really simple VPN connectivity. Projects like that that are generally solving 
tech issues, making things easier are great. But when it just comes to, here's a way for people to make more, for, I'm going to be really blunt about this, for the rich to keep on making more money and the poor to keep on getting taken advantage of. It's yep. my biggest problem in society at the moment. You know, um, yep. we just, just literally, uh, yesterday, a, a Tory MP said that the NHS nurses who are going on strike, rightfully so, I, I, I don't, like the idea of healthcare workers going on strike, but if they're not getting paid properly, he said that they yeah. should not go on strike because it will uh, because it will aid Putin's cause in the Ukraine. Yeah, this is a fellow who has like million pound farms and like you know claims all his 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 um, expenses back from the taxpayer and all this, right? Like, I mean, the, just the audacity of it—it it grinds it's, my uh, gears. I yeah, could say much much worse, but I'm. <laughs> I'll keep this a family-friendly channel. Thank you. No, we, we I think I think we've done quite well to keep this concise. Well, I say concise. We've got an hour and a half of recording, but it, look, I always say I'm always happy to go over our, our sort of aim of an hour because when we've got something that's so important, and what I hope, folks, is that you found this a positive, engaging discussion. Not, you know, we've we've not brought on a crypto bro to argue with Catherine. I think Catherine would have killed me if I'd actually done that. Um, no, actually, I I I would have probably stomped all over them and and been been quite happy to do so. But I, I probably wouldn't have. I probably. <laughs> I'm sorry, James. I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm getting rid of that I, I, audio I, I would, I, What I wouldn't have appreciated is all of their followers suddenly like spamming me, telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about and all the usual stuff they say. So <laughs> Jay, your face. <laughs> Jay's face is just like, yeah. So before we um, sort of do the outros, I want to say one thing, and it's something whenever we talk about something that maybe will spark opinion, the Crosswires sort of rule on engaging with us on social media and on our blog in terms of comments. If you can't be respectful to me, to Jay, and to our guests, we really don't want your comments on exactly. our site. They will, they will get deleted, and, you know, where appropriate, I will be really blunt about this. If, I ever ha- if anyone is ever abusive to me, to Jay, or to a guest, and we have enough evidence to locate you, we'll do a Liam Neeson, we won't, won't kill you, we will report Seriously, I, I yeah. have zero tolerance on abuse. That said, and Catherine's now looking at me like, do I really want to be here? Um, <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Um, where can people, obviously you're not on Twitter anymore, so you are a Mastodon. Where can people find out a bit more about your work? Where can we point people for a few resources? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm on Mastodon. I'm at Catherine Flick at mastodon.me.uk. Um, I am still on t- t- Twitter technically, but that will just point you to Mastodon. So I'm at Catherine Flick on Twitter. I don't, I just pop in there occasionally to see how the dumpster fire is going, but it's, um, um, really just to main, maintain a presence so that people don't impersonate me, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, and, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, and uh, otherwise, you can find my website is uh, ledra.net, L-I-E-D-R-A.net. And um, from that, you can, well, by this time this goes out, I should have updated the links. So it actually links to my um, my blog, which is also on the Fediverse, which is at cflick at blog.ledra.net. So you can follow that from Mastodon, which is really cool. Um, I love this stuff. <laughs> I love tinkering. <laughs> Out of interest, what are you using for? Are you using micro.blog by any chance for your? No, it's right, uh, it's right freely, um, uh, which powers right as, yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a faff, but it was worth it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, 
yeah, that's, I mean, pretty much just Google my name, Catherine with a C, Flick, F-L-I-C-K. You'll find me. <laughs> Fantastic. And thank you again, Catherine. And uh, Jake, do you want to hit the big button and we'll roll the outro? Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a good pod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at masthead.social. And of course, you can find me showing all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live our upcoming streams. If you like what we heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening.